Bethlehem. Dark. Quiet. A resting town. Once bustling, now still. An innkeeper's stable. Once calm, now astir. The tender cry of a newborn has pierced through the hush. Around a makeshift cradle, a small audience of witnesses gaze upon the baby boy with awe and wonder. This humble infant is the fulfillment of a centuries-old promise. The longed-for Savior is here. Emmanuel is indeed among them. Angel choirs resound, declaring to the cosmos the magnitude of this night. Even the stars respond, lighting the path to the significant spot. Jesus stepped down from heaven to be here. The posture of the world is forever changed. Humanity can stand confident in her kinship with a savior who chose to be present. God promised. Heaven and nature waited. God came. Peace can now abound. Peace that transcends all understanding, unaffected by outside circumstances, like a lone snowflake, unique and still. Peace formed in light of the trustworthy nature of our God. Amongst stirring and hectic souls, the Prince of Peace has officially made his home. With the same eyes of awe and wonder, co-witnesses to all that God has done, may our hearts kneel at his manger. Let us look not to gifts of things, but let us turn our attention to the one who is the gift himself, Jesus. Just as the light of his birth broke through the darkness of humanity's waiting, his light daily breaks through the boundless darkness of this weary world. Jesus is the one and only light of the world. Those are always so cool. Every time I watch, I'm like, wow, that's, that's really, really cool, really neat. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Um, so tonight, we continue in our Advent series, and uh, we have continued on from the first candle of hope to second candle of joy, and tonight, we begin our discussion around the concept of peace. We light the candle of peace. Hey, Abby. Uh, now, when, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of peace, my mind immediately goes to Loki from Marvel's Avengers. Um, 
I promise I don't intentionally try to just fit Marvel analogies into every message. I promise I really don't. It's just that they fit really well. And I'd be a bad steward of references if I didn't include what fits so well. So track with me for a second, all right? So Loki and peace. Now, if you remember in the first Avengers movie, Loki desires to conquer and be over and subjugate all of the earthlings, right? Now, his desire that he states for doing this is essentially to establish peace. That's weird, right? But that's kind of the idea. He, want, he believes that they need to be ruled and forced to get along with one another by having a ruler who is over all of them and can enforce this peace. Now, peace is desired, and it's promised just about everywhere we go. Um, now, I'm not a medical or scientific expert, but I did take some classes in college on things of science and nature. And the one thing I remember is the concept of serotonin, that chemical that enacts in the brain and gives the, the sensation of peace. In other words, peace of mind. Um, and we can get serotonin hits in a number of ways, right? That's why we pay a lot of money for things like massages. We don't do it just because we really love somebody pressing their fingers into our back for a lot of money, right? It's because it does something theoretically for those of us who enjoy that kind of thing. Um, it's the reason why we do vitamin, take vitamins, cleanses, uh, why we desire to have good relationships with others because there's a peace that comes over when you are in good relationship, with good standing with other people. It's the reason why um, it's what happens when Loki gets his scepter and touches you and you get peace, apparently. It's, I, I watched the movie. It happened to Hawkeye. Not anymore, at least. That's, that, that works out really well for his show. Um, now, now, with any of these things that we might look to for peace, those are just kind of some of the superficial ones, but you might have your own things that you desire and you look for for peace in your own life. Now, most of these things can produce peace at least for a while until the serotonin begins to wear off and you adjust and then you kind of keep going and then you remember that this is planet death and things are kind of chaotic and life is not always all that peaceful. And for me personally, I, if, just being honest, I, each one of us probably lived somewhere a little bit more than the others, whether it's in the past, the present, or the future. I am a card-carrying member of the Future Club. Uh, I am constantly living in the future, thinking about what's next in my story, what else I got to do, what other goals to accomplish. And, and I believe that there's a connection here, for, at least for me and probably for you as well, towards the concept of peace. I want that I want peace. I want peace to enact for the rest of my life. And, I, and if I just continue striving, continue working, continue pursuing, then I will get peace. The only problem is that serotonin eventually begins to wear off. I adjust to that new reality of life and other difficult things continue. And then it leaves me with the question, is there such a thing as lasting peace? So for you, where, when, when I say the word peace, what comes to your mind's eye? Is it something to do in the health world, like some type of holistic health? Is, it, is peace to you zero conflict with all other humans? Like, like that would be peace. Is peace the pandemic being over, no variants ever coming back up again? Can I get an amen? I, is, is, is peace living in a nation where there are no tensions or difficulties, no, no discussions of injustice? All of that has been done away with peace. Is peace having the right political party in power? Is peace your kids being on their best behavior or being good or being, being wonderful and whatever that might mean for you? Or is, it, is peace getting the promotion? Is peace landing the next gig? What is peace? 
for you. See, we're all unique. But I imagine if there was somebody who was selling guaranteed lifelong peace, no side effects. Wouldn't you all want in on that? I mean, that would be pretty sweet. I would love that. I would love lifelong peace guaranteed. All good. Is there such a thing as lasting peace? Now, in the days of Jesus' life, there was a peace that was promised. And it was even promised to be everlasting. It was issued by a leader who believed himself to be benevolent. It was promised security, order, tranquility across the land. The only problem is this piece was called Pax Romana. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. Now, Pax Romana, we could define that. It's a Latin phrase. It means the peace of Rome. Kind of makes sense, right? Uh, and it, you can easily define it as peace at the end of the sword. You are going to have peace with one another. Otherwise, I'm going to poke you with it and you'll die. Like that was the peace that they had. No rebellion, no discussion, no political discourse. Other words, you could just call it peace and quiet, but like peace and quiet, otherwise you die. Like that was the might of Rome played out. This is what Caesar desired. And for over a hundred years, this was the most peaceful period, quote unquote, in the history of humanity. Now, this kind of peace is very similar to what Loki desires in the first Avengers movie. You might remember that scene where he is in Germany and he is standing in front of all of these German citizens and he tells them all to kneel in front of him. Okay, and in this moment, he says, is this not simpler? Is this not your natural state? Is it, is, it's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. He is talking about a concept of peace, right? Like he kind of has a point. In other words, if you control circumstances, peace. Uh, If Loki poked everyone with the scepter, we're probably not getting in a lot of tiffs with one another because we're under mind control. Like that, that is a version of peace, but it's a counterfeit peace. It reminds me a lot of Pax Romana, hence why I'm talking about it. And it was this kind of counterfeit peace that was the backdrop of Jesus's birth and his life. So tonight, as we continue the story of Jesus' birth in the, in the couple weeks after Jesus' birth, we're gonna gaze into four different realities of peace that Jesus came to affect into the story of humanity. The true peace that is the longing of your heart and mine. So if you have a Bible, go to open it up to Luke chapter two, starting verse 22. I'm gonna be reading out of the English Standard Version if you wanna follow along with the same words that I'll be reading from. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So what's happening here is something very, very routine. They were just observing normal Jewish religious customs and rituals. The reason for this cleansing is twofold. One, it's to cleanse Mary, um, do a ritualistic cleansing of her since she just gave birth to Jesus. The other is a dedication of the child to the Lord. So they're dedicating their son to God. She is being considered ritually cleaned. This was normal. This was just like every other faithful Jewish family over the centuries before. Cool. 
This was a very routine moment. But this routine moment is going to become disturbed to become very unroutine. Verse 25, Luke continues, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this isn't unroutine just yet. I mean, hopefully, godly men and women are going to the temple to worship God, right? But it says something very interesting, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So what does that mean? Why why does that matter? Well, the consolation of Israel is actually not just a phrase. It's a title that was meant to refer to the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that is to come. But this reference isn't just to the idea that he's going to come to be a savior and be a victor, but is specifically that he is going to come and bring comfort Peace, it is speaking to Jesus's ability to affect peace, the consolation of Israel. I mean, think for a second, if you've ever endured a very difficult or tragic reality in your life, maybe you lost a loved one, maybe you endured an incredible breakup, uh, maybe you lost a job, weren't you probably glad when somebody came around to console you, to wrap their arms around you? And so the entire nation of Israel had endured for centuries, horror, terror, grief, trauma, being oppressed, being being kicked out of their country, brought back in only to be subjugated again. So this idea that this Messiah would come, not only did they believe that he would overthrow their oppressors, but he came to comfort the grieving is transformative language. Now, Simeon, he was a man who seemed to refuse to believe that Pax Romana, the peace of Caesar, was the best that this world was going to get. Instead, he held out for true peace. Going back to the Loki metaphor, uh, there is that moment right after he just says to, to the citizens, like, isn't this your proper place that you were made to kneel? And then Do you remember the scene? And then the old German man um, begins to slowly rise to his feet and he says, not to men like you. And you're like, yeah, like get it, old man. And then Loki is smiling, smirking, and he says, there are no men like me because he thinks he's a God. Then the German old man says, there are always men like you. So good, right? And then Loki says, look to your elder people. Let him be an example. This old man is willing to stand up knowing this guy can do some real damage here. Loki takes out his scepter. He's about to like vaporize him, whatever that looks like specifically. And then the blast comes. Captain America swoops down with his shield, deflects the blast. And Captain America says, you know, the last time I was in Germany and I saw a man standing above everyone else, we ended up disagreeing. And then everyone in the theater is like, absolutely, like a solid Hitler reference or something, right? Uh, But this old man stood up, stood in the gap and said, I refuse to believe what you're selling. I will not bow down to you in this. And that reminds me of Simeon in the story. He is a man who is held out for genuine peace. He hasn't stopped believing that God is going to deliver on his promises. He believes that I don't know how it's going to work out, but Israel will be consoled. Israel will be vindicated. So this man waited with eager anticipation. But the person he was waiting for, he didn't exactly know. 
And it says that the Spirit of God came upon him, meaning that he had received special revelation from the Spirit of God so that he would know what to do and where to go. And this takes us to verses 26 and 27. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, that's a really big deal. I mean, for hundreds of years, 600 years since the last time God spoke through a prophet. And now God is telling Simeon, the Christ has come. The one that we've been waiting for has come. That's a really big deal. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law. So this is the moment when the routine is gonna become very unroutine. So the spirit of God told him two things. One, a reality, that he would not die before he would see the Messiah come. That's a big deal. The second thing was a simple instruction, go to the temple. You're gonna see the Messiah, go to the temple. So he goes. And then verse 28, he took him up in his arms, Jesus, and blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now this points us to the first and most common type of peace that we are used to talking about, which is immediate peace. Now here's where that comes from. Let's go back to that first line that he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. What he is talking about is the experience of immediate peace. That's the first reality of peace. See, God's peace, it's not that he doesn't care about where we are at right now. He does. He desires that we would experience his genuine peace in the here and now, that heaven would break into our reality. And for and for Simeon, he is experiencing that sensation of peace to the point that he's like, Lord, this was it. I'm ready. Take me. I'm good. I am good. Like nothing could ever touch this moment of my life. This was what I was created for, to be excited about, to be preparing for. But you see the difference between the immediate peace that Simeon has experienced and the immediate peace that you and I might be tempted to gravitate to on a regular basis is what that peace is rooted to. Now, when we typically think of immediate peace, it's typically rooted to our circumstances, the things going on in our lives. When, when there is no conflicts at work, when there's no conflicts in our family, when there is no terrible diagnosis going on in our family life, when, when everything is working out properly, we feel at peace. So our immediate peace is rooted to how I'm doing. But Simeon's peace, his immediate peace, is rooted not in how he's doing, but because according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. His peace, his immediate peace is rooted to another kind of peace, another reality of peace called incarnational peace. And here's what I mean by that really big word. Simeon isn't rooting his peace in overthrowing the Roman government, in a book that he just read, or even in a vision that he received from God. He is rooting his peace in the fact that there is a child in his arms. And this child is no ordinary, ordinary child. This child is God in the flesh. 
Incarnational means in the flesh. God, creator of the cosmos, sent his son, the second member of the Godhead, the Trinity, into our reality. Isn't that weird? Like, do we ever stop to think how weird that is? God came into our story. And Simeon is holding this child. And he says, my eyes see. I remember when Abby was just a couple weeks old, around the age that Jesus had been in this moment. She could, experts said that she, could, she couldn't even see us yet. She would barely be able to start making out our faces at all. But it's not about what Jesus' eyes were seeing. It's about what Simeon's eyes are seeing. His eyes are beholding Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so therefore he could depart in peace because he had seen with his own eyes salvation of Israel. Simeon experienced Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh. See, we don't have, now we don't have Jesus' entire life all written down day for day, right? We don't like have his journal. But what we do have in the scriptures in the four gospels is we do get to a vision into Jesus' realities of his ministry and even some parts of his childhood. And what we discover is that everywhere the Prince of Peace walks, he affects peace to the brokenhearted. I mean, right here with Simeon, we get to see that, right? But fast forward 30 some years and he, he meets the woman that was caught in adultery, unpeaceful situation. And Jesus brings peace to a thief that was hanging next to Jesus as he's hanging on a cross. Jesus affects peace to his disciples who would later abandon him as he's hanging on that cross. Jesus affects peace over and over and over, wherever this Prince of Peace goes, peace is what emanates. It's what he does. It's not just because it's what he does, because it's who he is. Do you ever believe that nobody else could possibly understand the hardship that you are enduring? Are you ever tempted to believe that you are unknown, unseen, unheard, uncared for? See, the one who is the suffering servant is also the conquering king. Jesus knows where we're at. In our darkest moments, and maybe you're not in a dark moment right now, but if you are, or even if you're going to be at some time in the future, because that's life, remember this. He knows. Jesus lived on this earth. He experienced the difficulties of this reality. He was rejected. He was hurt. He went hungry. He was sad. He was tired. He had felt exhausted. And because he experienced that, we know that we have a savior who can empathize with exactly where we're at. When we're doing well, when we're doing rough, we have a savior who knows you are seen, you are known. Incarnational peace our immediate peace rooted in incarnational peace. Verse 34 and 35, Luke continues. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. If you were listening when I was just reading that, 
you might have thought, I like the other part of this prophecy better, that whole like, he's gonna come, I can depart in peace, seen salvation, light of revelation to the Gentiles, sounds pretty good. Glory to your people Israel, awesome, I'm all down for that, right? But here's what is it saying, that he is going to be, he is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. That sounds kind of crazy. And for a sign that is opposed, oh, he's gonna be opposed. Oh, also Mary, a sword is going to pierce through your own soul also. This prophecy got heavy, you know? Falling and rising. So let's go there first. Fall and rising of many in Israel. Remember last week when we were talking about joy and we were talking about Mary's song that she was singing prophetically. And as she was singing this prophetic song, she was singing about how Jesus would essentially raise up those who are humble and brokenhearted and he would humble those who are proud and arrogant. Now, here's the thing. This is kind of like the MO of Jesus. You, you might have heard this before, but Jesus is like an expert at comfort, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable, right? Like Jesus is really, really good at finding those who are hurting and broken, grieving and traumatized, drawing them in near, grieving with them, healing them, being a part of their story in some really, really comforting ways. And then he is also really good at doing a bunch of crazy things, like when he sees people mishandling the space of worship towards God and using it as to essentially connect thievery against Gentiles in the temple. He's like, uh-uh, flipping over tables and all, doing all kinds of stuff. He's ready to afflict the comfortable, those who are living in open rebellion against God. Now, here's the thing. We often look for the kind of Jesus that we want to see. Whether we want like a warrior Jesus, like the the table flipping kind, or we want a Jesus who is simply meek and mild and compassionate. What we rarely realize though, is that in those moments, when we are focusing in on just one part of the character of Jesus, we are minimizing who Jesus really is. And we are actually creating a Jesus who is a branch off of an original Jesus, a Jesus of our own imagination. You see, we don't get to decide what kind of Jesus Jesus is. We find a Jesus in the scriptures who is more beautifully complex than anything we can imagine. It reminds me of in uh, Chronicles of Narnia when, uh, uh, when, when the kids ask, uh, uh, when they're talking about Aslan, and uh, I forgot who they're asking in the story, but they're, uh, they ask about, is he safe? And they go, no, he's not safe, but he is good. And that's good. Jesus isn't safe, but he is good. He is mighty and he is kind. He is gentle and lowly of heart, and he is just and pure. See, Jesus is all of that and so much more. And he would come, and it's even now as he is just a baby in the arms of Simeon, he is saying, behold, this child who is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. See, he is going to be opposed. This is actually a hyperlink by Simeon to Isaiah 50, where there are these songs that they're called the songs of the suffering servant, where it's describing the Messiah, but in the characteristics that were typically unfamiliar with what people wanted him to be. They wanted the victor. They wanted the conqueror. But they said that in Isaiah, he prophesied that he would be a suffering servant. He would be opposed. You see, the good news of this suffering servant 
is not always gonna feel like good news to the world around us. The peace that this servant is going to bring is not always gonna mesh well with the world's understanding of peace. This is the beauty and brutality of the gospel. That it's gonna be, it's not gonna be a sweet aroma to those who despise it, but it will be a sweet aroma to those who hear. See, now there's a connection here for a parent's care for the child. And it says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Saying this to Mary. See, in just a few short decades, this word would come to pass just outside the city walls where this prophecy is being laid out. Mary would watch her son be stripped, mocked, bruised, beaten, humiliated, and disfigured. That's what the world would see. This is what a mother would have to watch her child endure, all the while knowing he's innocent. That would pierce a mother's soul. But you see, there's a peace that is even greater that was being secured in that moment. And this brings us to our third reality of peace, which is the peace of justification. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul writes it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you've been around the church world, you've heard verses like this before. And you're like, yeah, for sure, I believe that. But do we really understand it? Do we simply hear this as like, yeah, I'm super glad I'm justified with God, like I'm made right with him. See, that word justified means to be made right. That if this was a legal proceeding, that we would now be called innocent in front of everyone. All the while, we weren't innocent we weren't, we weren't justified. We have been justified because now we have peace with God through what? Through our own goodness? Because we're so awesome? Because we earn something? No, through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is truly unbelievable news. And I want us to focus in on this point, not because this is fire and brimstone kind of stuff, but because when we are in the everyday realities of life, this is probably, if you're anything like me, it's regularly so far away on the back burner of our minds. Like if I were to say, do you wanna to go to heaven or hell? You're like, for sure, heaven all the way. But it's so much greater than that. This is so much bigger than that. See, we weren't the victims in the cosmic story of reality. We were the enemies of the king. We stood condemned, ready for eternal separation from the life, light, and freedom that only Jesus could secure. That was our reality. But God is a father. The language of the father is littered throughout the scriptures. He doesn't just see us as a created thing like a robot that went awry. He sees us as children who have left home. And when he sees us, he doesn't look like some, simply some objective judge in the, in the seat of judgment and that he's like, all right, that guy paid your fine, so we're good now. Like, that's not what it means to be justified. It means to be welcomed back. There was a legal reality. Yes, it's been dealt with. So welcome back into the family. See, we were so far away and yet he has brought us in. But 
God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Not the great apathy, not because of the great obligation. The great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ. This isn't your own doing or mine. It is the gift of God. See, we stand so unaware of how dire our situation is apart from Jesus. But now, for those of us who are in Christ, we are justified. We are called right before God. We are called sons and daughters. And we don't have to suffer the experience of God's wrath that we were owed because Jesus did. See, when he was on the the cross, he drank the the metaphorical cup of God's wrath. And when we think about God's wrath, we typically think of God's anger. Like he's angry at me. So instead, there was Jesus. So he instead decided to be angry at Jesus instead. That, That super misses the incredible reality that's at play. It is the wrath of God is his justness, his justice. We wouldn't desire a God who puts up with evil. It's like, oh yeah, everything's permissible. We want justice to be dealt with. We want good to win in the story. And that is God's wrath. But the injustice, Jesus paid the cost of so that we could be justified. And it's not for any one group of people anymore. It's not just for the people of Israel. It is for all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. All ethnos, all ethnicities, all people groups. No ethnicity is going to have special access to God anymore. All is going to have the opportunity to return to him, to discover the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love of Messiah. You see, this is justification peace. And I don't want us to miss this because in the everyday realities of our lives, I don't want this to be a back burner reality. I want this to be at the front of my mind and yours. Why? Because life is hard. Life is hard. And when we are experiencing the hardness and the difficulty of life, what we need to remember is that the worst day that we could ever possibly imagine, if all of the worst things ever happen, these realities cannot be changed by them. Everything else is conditional. Everything else is circumstantial. But our belonging to the forever family of God does not change. If you are already adopted into God's forever family, if you've received this love, if you've surrendered your life to him, you have this justification peace. And if you're here tonight and you have not received that and you still have questions about a lot of this Jesus stuff, you're in a safe community to talk about this. But the rest of us who have accepted this, we still need the gospel day after day after day. This cannot be changed because Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Guys, isn't that good news? Think about our governments. Our governments be crazy, guys, on planet Earth. His government is a government of peace and there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not optional. It's not like, we'll see how the cards play out. This will 
happen. This is the suffering servant. This is the Messiah. This is the Prince of Peace. But this Prince of Peace will rule in a kingdom, but this kingdom is not one like the world that we live in. It, only, it comes to bring good news if we realize our desperate need and the kingdom that we belong to will be the one headed by the Prince of Peace. This isn't the peace that we imagine. It's not the peace that the world imagines. I mean, imagine how crazy this would be under Pax Romana to hear this. If you're hearing this news, you're like, good one. You know, like, like yeah, that's how this is gonna work out. We'll see it when it happens. See, this isn't peace the way we'd expect. It's not peace through conquering. Um, the Latin phrase is actually Pax Christi, the peace of Christ. It's peace through sacrifice, not peace through self-protection, but peace through the one who protected others instead. Not peace through enforcing your own way, but peace by laying down his rights, which then gives us the final reality of peace that I wanna close with tonight, sanctifying peace. See, since we have access to this immediate peace that is anchored in both justifying peace and incarnational peace, we discover this reality that the Holy Spirit is bringing us into a life of peace through what's called sanctification or becoming more like Jesus. Now, see, we might typically think, I don't know if you, like when I was talking about immediate peace, you're like, I don't know that I've ever truly had a season where I felt nothing but peace. That sounds unattainable for me. For sure, me too. But the good news is life is a process. Life is a process. Following Jesus is a journey. And you might think that, man, why am I still so blank if I follow Jesus for this long? Like, shouldn't I be better at this? Shouldn't I not struggle in these ways? Shouldn't I not be so angry at my coworker? Shouldn't I not be so tempted towards gossip? Shouldn't I be more missional? Whatever. Shouldn't I be more peaceful? That's part of the journey. All of life is a journey with Jesus. And see, this is the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit drawing us near to Jesus day by day as we surrender and submit our life to him. Because it's a journey. You're not dead yet. If you can hear me, you're not dead yet. You have a pulse. You have a mission ahead of you. And he who has begun a good work and you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. He is at work Whether you are 20 or 200, as long as you are still breathing on this earth, that'd be really old. As long as you are still breathing on this earth, Jesus has work for you. And it's not just things for you to do on the outside, although it is that, it's work that he wants to do on the inside. See, this is the piece that comes because 2,000 years ago, the light of the world came as a beacon of hope, joy, peace, and love to a broken and fallen world. Not just to display peace or give peace, but to be peace. See, the Roman world, I think would have gelled really well with Loki, right? Like that's kind of their thing. Pax Roman, enforceable peace. They're like, oh yeah, like tell me what to do. I'm up for it. Now, in our world, we wouldn't really give, do well in our um, American context with Pax Romana, right? Like, like, peace at the end of the sword, we're like, no, that's not John well with the American spirit. But instead, in our world, in our cultural context, what we have done is we have allowed ourselves unlimited amounts of definitions of the word peace, where each of us get to decide what peace is for me. But what's so tragically and woefully missing from almost all the definitions, is the only one who is peace. 
See, the concept that peace is found in the person and work of Jesus is unheard of. In fact, I would say for most, most of the world, maybe even some of us in here, it sounds too simplistic, unhelpful, weak, or theoretical. We're like, good one. Okay, Jesus is peace. Fine, I'll sing the song on Christmas, right? But when we root our peace in Jesus, we stop rooting our peace in the circumstances of our lives and world. Instead, we untether our expectations from the rushes of serotonin that we get and how we are doing today. And we root it, we tether ourselves to the one who cannot change. We sync up with the prince of peace. See, we, like him, are then able to step into the insane realities of this broken and fallen world. We can step into places of chaos, bringing justice, bringing light, bringing freedom, bringing the good news of the gospel. Because our, even though our circumstances are far less than ideal, because we get to be simply spectators watching as God works his work, bringing his kingdom of peace into our world day by day. See, we can experience transcendent peace that is very real today, regardless of our circumstances for no other reason than we are with the one who defines peace already. And that's good news. Now I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band to come on up. Now at the end of the day, the peace that Jesus offers has much less curb appeal than, any other, than most of the other iterations in our world because those other iterations give us the control, Right? See, we so often want a counterfeit peace. And in case you haven't noticed, the world can see that reality played out. They see your family, your friends who do not know Jesus. They are watching you and me. They are watching Christians to see if there's anything actually different. If our peace is found in the same things that the world finds it in, things like political control or workplace manipulation, through self-protection, through building Barriers instead of building bridges. But imagine, imagine if the world around us saw in you and me, us as a community, genuine peace. Not, not peace that is faked or peace that is just self-willed, but peace that is rooted in the beauty of the gospel. I truly believe that is good news, that we get the opportunity to go to our Father, that we can have a relationship with Him. That's good news. Now tonight, we're gonna respond together as a biblical community to the scriptures, to God's desire by participating in communion together. Now, Different faith traditions engage in communion in different ways with slightly different understandings of its significance. As a church, we practice what's called open communion. What that simply means is that we believe that all who, surrend who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, all who have put their faith in his salvation peace, all who follow after him, despite, regardless of which church background you come from or whatever, you are invited to engage in communion tonight. For all those who wouldn't exactly say that those things are true of them um, at this point in your spiritual journey, what I would just let you know about is feel no awkwardness in simply just staying seated. Uh, there's, uh, instead, just watch as those of us who are Christ followers come up to take the elements of communion. 
It's just a small piece of bread that, and um, a small thing of juice that are connected together. One's on top of the other. And if you are somebody who doesn't know and follow Jesus right now, and you'd like to have conversations about Jesus or wanna learn more about him, or you have questions, just know this is a safe community to do so. And we're gonna have some of our elders and deacons up here um, on your right at the end of the gathering, and they'd love to chat with you about that. Otherwise, chat with any of your friends who might've came with you. Now, we take the top part, the bread, to symbolize Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. To remember that it is only through his physical body being broken that we now have peace with God. And then we take the cup, which symbolizes Jesus' blood poured out for us as we remember that without Jesus, we stood condemned, but no longer do we drink the cup of God's wrath, but instead Jesus' blood was poured out because he drank that cup on our behalf. So the way that this is gonna work is what I want you to do is we have two communion stations up here at the front and there's, I think, gluten-free is in the, the small um, wooden boxes on the side. And here's what I'd love for you to do. Don't come up immediately. What I want you to do is take a few moments as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Don't rush up. Instead, take a few moments to examine your heart and your life. If there's any spaces where you need to repent before God, go for it. If there's someone, even somebody in this room tonight that you need to reconcile with, before you take communion, go and reconcile with them. Pull them aside, make the phone call, be reconciled. Examine yourself and then come up and take it back to your seat. Spend, some, spend a moment maybe praying with your friends, roommates, family, whoever you might've come with. And then just take both of those elements. The band's gonna be playing softly back here. And after a while, they'll go ahead and close us in worship. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for peace. Thank you that while we were far off, you pursued after us. Thank you that when we were dead in our sin, you went the full distance for us. This is peace unimaginable, peace technically unattainable, but attained nonetheless through Jesus and his sacrifice. So we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that you sent your son into our world, that we could know him, that we could love him, that we could touch him, that we could feel his humanity while trusting in his divinity. Lord, I thank you for this community that we have, that we have the opportunity to in, participate in communion together, that we have the opportunity to remind ourselves of the beauty of the gospel and that we now have peace with you. Lord, right now I just pray for the week ahead as we are 
on Christmas week. And in the parks, it's gonna be chaos and craziness. Peace will be the farthest thing from every cast member's mind. Lord, I pray for your peace. I pray for those of us who are cast members in this room, that you would send them as agents of peace into their break rooms this Christmas week, that they would be so flooded by your peace that they could simply be carriers of that peace to those around them, that they would both demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. God, you are good and you are kind and you are holy. Thank you that we get to commune with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.